Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Early one morning, in a deserted area outside of Phoenix, a motorcyclist discovered the body of a young woman. She had been beaten, bound, strangled, and possibly raped. The surrounding plants would tell more about her killer than any other single piece of evidence. When investigators from the sheriff's department arrived at the crime scene, they gathered every possible piece of evidence. The victim was nude, except for a pulled-up tank top and a T-shirt wrapped around her neck, which was probably used to strangle her. Her wrists and ankles were loosely bound with shoelaces and what looked like picture-hanging wire. Nearby, investigators found a syringe, some articles of clothing. Then they heard some evidence. It was a pager found deep in the grass a few feet from the body. The discovery of the pager triggered a larger search and the photographer took some aerial photographs. There appeared to be a circular area of matted grass where an altercation possibly took place. Police took the victim's remains to the medical examiner for identification and autopsy. A fingerprint search identified the victim as 30-year-old Denise Johnson, a single mother of two young children. She was born and raised in an area of Phoenix known as the Projects. She wasn't a bad girl. She, some of her friends, I think she got with the wrong friends. I ain't gonna say they made her do these things now. She hung around with people that liked to party, drink, and I don't really know what they were doing, but she, you know, she was out there in the world with people that did drugs, I'm sure, and sometimes I think she trusted too much. Denise made her living on the streets of Phoenix. She had a history of shortchanging truck drivers in various drug deals at local truck stops, which earned her the nickname Twist Mama. Her friends cautioned her that her lifestyle was probably going to find her in a lot of trouble someday, and eventually it did. But who ended Denise Johnson's life? The investigation began with the pager found lying near the body. It belonged to this man, a local trucker named Mark Bogan. He said that on his way home from work the night before, he stopped to make a phone call. That's when he met Denise Johnson for the first time. Hi, how you doing? Hello there. Bogan said she asked for a ride to the interstate. Why not? Thanks. Once inside the truck, she made some sexual advances. They pulled off the road and had consensual sex in the cab of his truck. 
Afterwards, as he was dropping her off, he said she attempted to steal some of his things off the dashboard. I would really love to have my wallet back. After a brief scuffle, he retrieved his wallet. She got out and left on foot. Logan said that was the last he saw of her. The next morning, he noticed his pager was missing, assumed he had lost it, and called the pager company to report it missing. During the interrogation of Mark Bogan, investigators noticed scratch marks on the side of his face. If there were scratches on the suspect's face, then you would expect that if those were, in fact, inflicted by fingers or fingernails of the victim, there should be some residue of either the skin cells and or maybe even blood under the fingernails. The autopsy of Denise Johnson revealed no skin or blood under any of her fingernails. The medical examiner found that Denise Johnson's death was caused by asphyxiation due to strangulation. Blood tests showed cocaine in her system. However, there were no signs of any type of sexual activity. There was no semen found, no foreign hair, clothing fibers, or saliva found anywhere on her body. The autopsy told investigators how Denise Johnson died, but provided no clues about her killer. Their one suspect, Mark Bogan, was apparently a dead end. The sheriff's office had not only a murder, but a mystery. On the day after police discovered Denise Johnson's body, homicide detective Charlie Norton was assigned to the case. I decided that it would help me as the investigator to go out and familiarize myself with the scene where the body was found. Charlie Norton was looking for anything out of place or unusual, anything that might have been overlooked the day before. Then he saw it, something peculiar, on a Palo Verde tree, just a few feet from where the body was found. I had parked my car on the pavement. I noticed that there was a, a branch that was hanging over. Um, and when I looked at that branch, I noticed that there was a fresh abrasion. And I had no idea what it might mean. But I took a picture of it. Then I took some beans off of that particular tree. Meanwhile, investigators confiscated Mark Bogan's truck to look for possible evidence linking him or his truck to the crime scene. It was completely clean. No fingerprints, semen, blood, saliva, hair, or clothing fibers. No evidence at all that Denise Johnson was even in the truck. But when investigators and police photographers looked in the back of the truck, they made an interesting discovery. They found two bean pods from a Palo Verde tree. Was it possible that Bogan's truck brushed against the Palo Verde tree at the crime scene, causing two bean pods to drop into the back of the truck? The problem was, Palo Verde trees are very common in Arizona. There are tens of thousands of them in the Phoenix area alone. But Charlie Norton's boss had an idea to see if DNA testing could match the bean pods from Bogan's truck to the tree with the abrasion at the crime scene. I suggested to Charlie at the time, I said, you know, I said it'd be a real good idea if we could find someone 
somewhere in the United States that is involved in DNA testing of plant life. And I said, what the hell have we got to lose? You know, where are we going to go from here? What's the number for ID? Norton started working the phones, calling scientists all over the United States. I've got uh, answers like it couldn't be done to maybe it could be done, and that if it could be done, that the cost would be prohibitive. Fifteen telephone calls later, he found someone who offered some hope. Ironically, just a hundred miles away at the University of Arizona in Tucson. I saw that as sort of a public service thing that we could do, that we'd show some of this science is relevant to people and may, maybe a way that's not quite as obvious sometimes through agriculture. Could DNA really show that one plant or tree was different from another, even though they were the same species? DNA is present in all cells of all living things. It's a little like a computer program containing all of the information necessary to create a living thing. But plant DNA had never been used in a criminal case. And scientists weren't even sure they could figure out a way to extract DNA from the Palo Verde seed pods. Well, we certainly use fingerprinting a lot in agriculture, but we've never looked at this particular species, uh, this tree. Nobody has probably ever done any much biology on it at all. Prosecutors had circumstantial evidence linking Mark Bogan to Denise Johnson's murder, but they needed something more definitive. They knew they would have to prove that Bogan was at the crime scene and the Palo Verde pods were their best chance. The scientists had no idea that their research would be the cornerstone of a murder case. The Arizona Sheriff's Department wanted to know if there was any way scientists could match the two seed pods found in the back of Mark Bogan's truck to the Palo Verde tree next to where they discovered Denise Johnson's body. But there were thousands of Palo Verde trees in the Phoenix area alone, and there had never been a DNA test on this type of tree. We had to learn how to do the analysis so that we could say, do trees look different from each other in this species? Because what we wanted to know was not was this a Palo Verde tree, but could I match it to that specific tree? Dr. Helen Jarris used what is known as a randomly amplified polymorphic DNA technique, or RAPID. This is a less common test than RFLP, the one used in searches for human DNA. One of the great things about rapids is, is that you're able to know nothing about an, an individual species or type of organism. You don't have to have any prior knowledge about it. All you have to do is get DNA and the method works. The test begins by removing the beans from their hard outer shell or pod. The seeds have DNA both from the mother tree and other trees that would have pollinated it, so we need to get rid of those and just use the pot material, which will only have DNA from the mother tree. The shells are put into liquid nitrogen, making them brittle and easier to grind into a fine powder. A chemical solution is added, and the DNA floats free, a sticky bundle of complex molecules. The sample amount of DNA from a seed pod is too small for analysis, so scientists increase the sample size by copying the DNA strand. They use a technique called polymerase chain reaction, or PCR. The copying process takes place in a DNA thermal cycler. Within a few hours, this technique multiplies the DNA millions of times. 
The DNA is then placed into various lanes of a gel with a dye added and then subjected to an electrical field. Under ultraviolet light, it's possible to see how the electrical current draws the negatively charged fragments through the gel to the positive end at the top. The results resemble a barcode, the genetic fingerprint of a Palo Verde tree. These fingerprints enabled Helen Jarris to make an important discovery. He was able to take the original samples, take a part of the samples from the pickup truck, determine that those two pods came from the very same tree. Then he compared those with samples from 12 trees and matched it to a tree there at the crime scene, not knowing that the tree had the scrape on it to which he matched it. But there were only 12 trees in the initial test, and the prosecution felt that wasn't a large enough sample. They needed to show a potential judge and jury that all of the Palo Verde trees in Arizona had a different DNA profile. So the district attorney sent Helen Jarris pods from 100 different trees, asking him to prove that each had a separate and distinct DNA profile. And he tried to trick Helen Jarris. I did not tell Dr. Helen Jarris that I had gone back out to the scene, had a deputy take a sample from the same tree, which had the scrape on it. Dr. Helen Jarris proved that each of the pods had a different DNA profile, and he also discovered the prosecution's trick. I called him, and I was a little concerned because, uh, you know, well, we could tell all these trees apart and so forth, but we put the sample back in, and it, and it looked like it matched one of these supposedly random trees that they'd gone out and done. It's almost like a touchdown in the end zone. Uh, I knew it. I knew he had hit on it. Out of 20 other samples that he had tested on one gel, he hit and matched perfectly. Police arrested Mark Bogan and charged him for the murder of Denise Johnson. He entered a plea of not guilty. But the question remained, would this new DNA evidence be admissible in court? No one had ever introduced plant DNA as evidence in a criminal trial anywhere. We held a preliminary hearing before the judge only to review the scientific evidence to see whether or not it was evidence that was generally accepted in the scientific community as both valid and reliable. For three days, without a jury on hand, lawyers and scientists argued whether plant DNA should be admitted into a criminal trial for the first time ever. What all of the scientists agreed about was that plant DNA, like human DNA, was unique to each plant and, if properly tested, could distinguish one Palo Verde tree from another Palo Verde tree. And there seemed to be no dispute about that. Judge Bolton denied the defense motion to prohibit Dr. Helen Jarris's testimony, thereby allowing the DNA evidence to be admitted at the trial. In setting a precedent, Judge Bolton had made DNA history. We were the first criminal case in the country that used a DNA comparison of plant material to, uh, as a piece of evidence. Now, armed with the potent weapon of a DNA fingerprint, the prosecution went to trial, attempting to prove to a jury that Mark Bogan murdered Denise Johnson. Thank you.
What happened to Denise Johnson on the night of May 2nd, 1992? The prosecution believed that Mark Bogan met Denise Johnson at a phone booth. Hi, how you doing? They spoke briefly, and Denise asked for a ride. Sure, why not? Thanks. They drove to a deserted location for what was going to be a consensual sexual encounter. How would you like to have some real fun? Bogan asked Denise sure. if she would agree to some light bondage and tied her wrists and ankles with some picture frame wire and shoelaces. Some of Bogan's ex-girlfriends would testify that he enjoyed bondage. And another witness told investigators that she saw the same type of wire in the cab of his truck just a few days no. earlier. No! No, stop it! No. At some point, Denise Johnson objected to what was happening and asked Bogan to stop. Johnson got out of the truck and tried to run, with Bogan fast behind. Quickly, the situation turned violent. The two struggled in the open field. Bogan lost the pager he carried on his waist, which fell into the high grass. Bogan strangled Johnson with her own T-shirt. Then he dragged her body under some nearby bushes and left. As Bogan drove away, his truck brushed against a Palo Verde tree, leaving the abrasion. Two seed pods dropped into the back of his truck. An eyewitness saw a white truck similar to the one Bogan owned coming out of the road, leading from the crime scene, going through a stop sign and speeding off in the direction of Phoenix. The witness said it was about 1.30 in the morning. Bogan lived 18 minutes from the area, and his wife told police she awoke as Mark returned home just after 2 in the morning. Most of the evidence against Mark Bogan was circumstantial. The lost beeper, the picture frame wire, his interest in bondage, and the witness who saw a white truck in the vicinity of the crime scene the night of the murder. But... The most critical evidence in the case was the plant DNA. There wasn't a fingerprint, there wasn't a drop of blood, there wasn't a hair. There were none of those things that anybody could say were part of the victim's body found, must have been left by the victim on the defendant or on the defendant's property or vice versa. He had uh, admitted to the detectives that he'd washed his truck the next morning. He got rid of all of the evidence in the truck except for two Palo Verde pods. They needed evidence that placed Mark at the scene because uh, he did have a credible story. As a prosecutor, I had a mantle of evidence that I wanted to place upon the shoulders of the defendant. The Palo Verde pods um, took the mantle by the drawstring and wrapped it around his neck. Unable to challenge Dr. Helen Jaris's findings themselves, the defense challenged the evidence, implying the pods were planted in the back of Mark's truck. But investigators said the seed pods were found in Bogan's truck before samples were taken from the crime scene. The jury found Mark Bogan guilty of murder in the first degree. He was sentenced to life in prison without parole for at least 25 years. The appellate court upheld the verdict. 
Mark Bogan continues to maintain his innocence, and the appeal process is continuing. I'm trying to forget this case because I'm the only person on the planet that lost to a plant. <laughs> it was something that hadn't been done before, uh, something that was certainly very different from the routine things that we do every day as judges. But I love my daughter very much. I love all my children. But it's something we just have to go through. It's done. I don't know what in the world that could have tripped him off to, to hurt her like that. I don't know, but I hope one day we'll find out.